For Arizona State, Selection Sunday was deja vu all over again. A lot of anxious moments prior to the NCAA Tournament Selection Show, but the Sun Devils get the same exact result as last year. Arizona State headed back to Dayton for a first four game and one of the last teams to make it to the field of 68. The journey may have been a real bumpy one, but the pot of gold at the end of the trail on this St. Patrick's Day was all worth it. I was living in a devil town didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town Welcome to the latest episode of the Devil Junkies Podcast. I'm your host and devilsdigest.com publisher, Hode Rubino. Last year, the schools were announced in alphabetical order on Selection Sunday, so Arizona State, as anxious as it was prior to that announcement, didn't have to wait too long at all into the selection show to hear their name called. But today, selection show went to a more traditional method of announcements, and the Sun Devils team and their fans really had to sweat it out on this warm spring day, hearing their name called on the last region to be announced, which, as always, is the West region. So we'll talk about how the Sun Devils arrived to its first back-to-back years of qualifying for the NCAA tournament, and whether they were judged fairly or not by the selection committee. We will also touch a bit on the Sun Devils' opponent on Wednesday night, the St. John's Red Storm. And as always, finish off the podcast with the questions from you, the listeners. So let's talk some March Madness. It's very interesting for me to look at this year's Arizona State team compared to last year's. And even though the end result of their postseason play is exactly the same, as we mentioned earlier, I feel that the paths that were used in each of those years were quite different from each other. Look, last year, let's make no bones about it. ASU backed into the NCAA tournament, losers of five of their last six games, and was able to just squeeze in to the field of 68 despite finishing ninth in the Pac-12. This year, Arizona State won three of the last five contests following a second-place league finish in the regular season. It won its first game in the Pac-12 tournament after having a bye on the first day, so they reached the semifinals. Did lose to an Oregon team that ended up winning the Pac-12 tournament, so definitely no shame in there, even though that loss in overtime was certainly a bitter one, and there was certainly a contest that uh, Arizona State is going to look back at for a long, long time from now, knowing that they really let one slip away. But the whole concept of squeezing in into that first four game, or as some would say, the play-in game of the NCAA tournament, I feel that last year was certainly justified. This year, I felt that the NCAA tournament selection committee may have been just a little too harsh on the Pac-12. And at the end of the day, this conference, with all its issues, with all its mediocre at best play from its participants, still fielded three teams in the field of 68. Now, granted, it pales in comparison to the Big Ten, the ACC, the SEC, the big boys out there, if you will, when it comes to the high majors. But nonetheless, 
there was a lot of talk about the Pac-12 being a one-bid league, two-bid league at most. And when Oregon won the Pac-12 tournament, it was definitely a bid stealer, if you will. And some thought that maybe Arizona State would get the brunt of that title that Oregon captured. After all, Arizona State lost to Oregon twice just in the last three weeks. But really, when you look at the new net system that the NCAA instituted that replaces the RPI and basically dividing your wins into quality and non-quality wins, and obviously the same would apply for losses, into quadrant one, quadrant two, quadrant three, quadrant four, I just didn't see Arizona State having a resume that was worthy of being the next-to-last team selected in this year's NCAA tournament. The net rating was number 63. And look, until somebody can explain in detail how the net rankings are comprised, it's really hard to be too harsh or too content with the system. But obviously, a team like Arizona State was hurt. And the reason I say that is when you look at their wins in the quadrant one and quadrant two. And just as a quick reminder, quadrant one are home games against teams in the RPI between one and 30 teams that are between one and 50 that you play in a neutral court. And when you play a team away in the RPI, Arizona state had a three and three record, the quadrant two, which basically knocks everything one peg lower. If you will, Arizona state was eight and three. So, The bottom line is Arizona State had a very respectable, if not solid, record of 11-5 in terms of a quadrant one and quadrant two win-loss mark. That was significantly better than a team like VCU, for example, who doesn't come from a high major conference, obviously, but only had a record of 5-5. Then you look at teams like Oklahoma, 10-12, Florida, 8-12. Ohio State, 9-13. And yes, all three teams played in much better conferences than the Pac-12. But at the end of the day, I feel that ASU was punished way too severely for a down year in the Pac-12. And the benefit of the doubt was given to teams from tougher conferences, which none of them had a winning record in quarter one and quarter two games. And none of them even had more wins than Arizona State had when it came to those caliber of opponents. So, again, it's really unfortunate that a weak Pac-12 really did Arizona State in and has them playing one extra game this week, obviously with short rest, which is not ideal for any squad this time of year where you're obviously not at your ultimate physical condition with all the wear and tear of 30 plus games. And as we know, Arizona state definitely has an issue that manifested itself in the loss to Oregon in overtime where their starting point guard and old PAC 12 player, Remy Martin is still healing from a groin strain. And if you recall the game against Oregon in the semifinals of the Pac-12 tournament, Remy Martin was in and out of the line and out frequently. 
And when he was not on the floor, Arizona State's offense, as expected, was not flowing, was not even close to being effective compared to Remy Martin being on the floor. And that ended up playing a huge factor in that contest, a contest that not only gave Oregon a chance to win a bid as a Pac-12 tournament champion, but really knocked Arizona State a peg lower, if you will, having them return to Dayton for that first four in game. So lots of factors were really going against Arizona State, some objective, some more subjective. And again, it's it's interesting to see some ASU fans out there really not being satisfied with making the NCAA tournament by the skin of your teeth for the second year in a row. And as I mentioned to some fans on Twitter earlier today, keep it in perspective. Arizona State is not a permanent or even a frequent resident of the NCAA tournament. The last time the Sun Devils qualified in back-to-back years was a good few decades ago. To be exact, the 79-80 season and the 80-81 season, which were considered the heyday of this program, and maybe this year and last year can somewhat rival it. It depends to see what Arizona State can do once they start playing in the NCAA tournament. But nonetheless, this is how many decades ago Arizona State was able even to duplicate this feat. So I understand that some folks are not going to be content at all being in Dayton. They want to, if they're going to be an 11 seed, they want to be a old school 11 seed that just gets shipped off to one of the regions and plays the number six seed either on Thursday or Friday. And that to them is more impressive than still being in the field of 68, still registering an NCAA tournament appearance. I mean, that's nothing that anybody can take away from Arizona State, but just having that perception that you really were able to just get in into the field, that is something that really sticks in the craw of some fans. So one way to look at it is that some ASU fans, no different than any other fan base out there, are just not going to be easily content with the achievements of their basketball team. And some may look at this as a fan base that's just demanding more right now. That the arrival of Bobby Hurley, elevating the play of this program, elevating the caliber of recruits coming into this program, makes the fan base hungrier to qualify in an easier way, qualify in the traditional slash old school manner of not worrying about going to Dayton and playing a game either on Tuesday or Wednesday, want their team to avoid. Needless to say, when you play that game at Dayton, it cramps up your schedule in a major, major way. The game against St. John's is going to tip off at 9 p.m., more like, I guess, 9.15 p.m., local time in Dayton. That's Eastern time. So, basically... Assuming the team has chartered a plane, and I'm fairly confident that they will, if you won that game against St. John's, you're not leaving the Dane Airport until around 2 a.m. 
local time. So, yeah, basically, I would say roughly a three-hour flight from Dayton to Tulsa. And that would put you wheels on the ground at 5 a.m. on Thursday morning. So basically, you're going to land at your destination just 32 hours before tip-off. And obviously, the fatigue of just playing a game and traveling in the middle of the night really is going to take a toll on your preparation the 24 hours before that contest against Buffalo. A team who, ironically, Bobby Hurley was the head coach of right before he accepted the job to Arizona State. I'm sure a game that's going to be emotionally charged for him for obvious reasons. And more importantly, I would expect the Buffaloes to be really amped up for this contest. They had an outstanding season and to face their old head coach, even though I don't know how many players are, if at all, are left on that squad that Bobby Hurley coached. But nonetheless, knowing the success that Bobby Hurley had in Buffalo and now duplicating some of that success at Arizona State, that would uh, definitely be a huge motivator for this Buffalo squad. But just going back to the point that I'm trying to make here earlier, that this really borderline brutal turnaround for Arizona State, just because they have to play that extra game in Dayton, can be really taxing. Now, ironically, the team that Arizona State lost last year in Dayton, Syracuse, ended up winning the next two games and qualifying to the Sweet 16. And granted, Syracuse is a program that Arizona State aspires to be at, so I'm not trying to compare the two. But just to show you that playing that game in Dayton is not exactly the kiss of death year in and year out when it comes to your chances of surviving and advancing the next round. But first things first, Arizona State has to deal with a St. John's Red Storm team, which is very much similar to the Sun Devils in their path to qualifying for the field of 68. And next, we'll explain why. very fortunate to have our staff writer Jeff Griffith who is an excellent bracketologist in his own right provided the Devil's Digest community excellent insight on the Sun Devils and so determined resume throughout the whole season giving us updates multiple times a week and really in the last few days was giving us updates if not daily then hourly leading up to Selection Sunday so now that there are not any other brackets to project or anything like that, uh, Jeff was kind enough to provide our Devil's Digest readers a quick insight into St. John's and what can we expect from Arizona State's opponent in Dayton on Wednesday. So this season, uh, the Red Storm, who's coached by their most famous alumnus, and former All-NBA player Chris Mullen, uh, really mirror a lot of what we saw from Arizona State last year. 
Last season, the Sun Devils were undefeated in non-conference play. St. John's lost one game only in non-conference, and that was to Duke by 30 points. Some will say that uh, that is nothing to really fret about that much, but nonetheless, that was the only blemish in non-conference play. Obviously, the level that they played at in November, December gave them a few weeks being ranked in the top 25. And they did uh, beat some impressive teams um, along the way in their conference in Marquette. Actually, the team that they beat twice, and Marquette is a, is a number five seed in this year's NCAA tournament. And also one game over defending NCAA champion uh, Villanova. Now, when it came to the conference play at large, if you will, this is where there were a lot of issues for St. John's. They went 8-10. and 10. Ironically, the same exact conference record ASU had last year. That is the mark that the Red Storm had in the Big East. And they lost quite a bit of games to teams who did not qualify for the NCAA tournament. DePaul, Georgetown... Providence twice, Xavier twice, and Butler. So for a team that lost five of the last seven, you can definitely say, and I know I'm using this term from earlier in the podcast, that St. John's has definitely backed into the NCAA tournament and is definitely not riding any kind of wave of momentum at all to face Arizona State. Now, I'm not here to suggest that Arizona State's going to have a cakewalk the odd, odds makers, at least very early in their projection, only have ASU as a one-point favorite. So I don't think there's many out there who are thinking that the Sun Devils can absolutely just boat race St. John's and route to an, an easy win. But when you look at the strengths and weaknesses, I think there are some factors that may work in ASU's favor. St. John's best player is a Shamari Pons, a player who averages 19.5 points, 4.2 rebounds, and 5.2 assists. And uh, definitely is the player that has the most impact on the Red Storm's play night in and night out. And I would uh, definitely look forward to seeing how Lugensdort Dort matches up against them. Dort, as you know, was voted to the all Defense, all Pac-12 defensive team, and has definitely been one of the better defenders for the Sun Devils, especially down the stretch. And there's no doubt in my mind that he will be tasked with trying to slow down Shamari Pons when he does face ASU. There's also uh, another wing player to look out for, which is um, Auburn's, Auburn transfer Mustafa Heron, who averages 14.9 points and 4.7 boards. And really, together with Pons, is a very, very talented backcourt. And both against Dort and Remy Martin, which Arizona State is hoping is going to be much healthier than the 60-70% that he was against Oregon, will definitely have their hands full on the, the, on the defensive end trying to guard um, those two players. Now, St. John's is definitely a team that plays a lot of small ball. And again, that is something that is very reminiscent of the guard you 
Arizona State team that we saw last season. And really, one of the tallest players, uh, C.D. Keita, a 6'9 forward, he only averages a whopping 2.1 points per game, 1.8 rebounds. So this is a game where Arizona State's front court, namely Zylan Cheatham and Romello White, are really going to have to pound inside and make sure that they can get their fair share and then some of points in the paint. And obviously, they should be able to dominate rebounding on, on, on both on both ends of the floor. So I think that Arizona State is definitely a team that has had its issues with squads that present a lot of length. And you really don't have to look that far back to see how they did against a team like Oregon, who definitely created a lot of issues for Arizona State on the boards with block shots. And the Sun Devils will see none of that in terms of a matchup when they do play St. John. So that's something that can work to their advantage. Now, a guard like Oregon's Prayton Pritchard did give Arizona State quite a bit of fits. Again, you can go back to the absence of Remy Martin being an issue over there. Uh, Lugens Dort, I thought, did at times an okay job on Pritchard, but at times not such a great job really getting caught on screen switches. And I think in that sense, Arizona State has some good film they can learn from and correct as they try to face up really, really talented players in Ponds and Heron for St. John's. But I know it's easier said than done, but if Arizona State can really shut down St. John's backcourt and make sure that they dominate down low and in the paint as they're expected to, then this is a, a game that Arizona State should win, a game that would also mark, obviously, Bobby Hurley's first NCAA tournament win as Arizona State's coach. And again, when we talk about success or lack thereof of Arizona State qualifying for the NCAA tournament, we also also to talk about lack of success in winning games in the NCAA tournament because the last game that Arizona State did win, being part of the field of 68 or prior to 2011, field of 64, was actually in 2009, James Harden's last year in Tempe, where Arizona State beat Temple in the first round just to lose to Syracuse in the next round. So Arizona State has a chance over here after erasing what was the sixth longest drought of any high major conference in terms of qualifying in back-to-back years to the NCAA tournament, now also has a chance to get that monkey off their back in terms of an NCAA tournament win and make sure that they're able to notch that. And really in a season where Arizona State was able to tie its best finish in Pac-12 play, finishing second, was able to record the first sweep 
of Arizona in the regular season since that 2009 campaign now just has, in my opinion, an excellent chance to win a game in the NCAA tournament with a matchup which I don't think, at least on paper, is a horrendous one for the Sun Devils. We're going to have uh, much more as we get closer to the game, but this is just a, a quick first look at the St. John's Red Storm. segment as always is devoted to you our listener and any questions you wanted to wanted me to address here on the podcast and i did uh, welcome your questions also on non-basketball topics even though today was definitely all about selection sunday but yesterday on saturday uh, there definitely was a big recruiting event that took place concerning asu asu football it was their elite junior day where 30 or so of most of their top recruiting targets were invited on campus to just really uh, get a thorough presentation of the program. And one of our uh, premium subscribers on the Devil's Huddle, Ryan Johnson 2 asked if he wanted to get into details concerning the recruiting weekend, how effective it was, what's the long-term strategy, and what kind of feedback we, we got from the uh, prospects. So, concerning the feedback, uh, I am working on an article in the midst of all uh, this March madness that Arizona State basketball is a part of, and I will uh, definitely share the impressions of some of the recruits and what they thought about this event. But just in general, it was uh, definitely just a great opportunity for Arizona State to put their best foot forward and showcase not only facilities which are some of the best in the Pac-12, hands down, but also the people that walk the halls of that facility every day, the coaches, the support staff. And some of the events were pretty common to a junior day or just an unofficial or official visit of a recruit. Going into, the fe- going into the film room, breaking down game film, and showing why this scheme would be beneficial for you, Johnny Recruit. What kind of skills can you bring to the table to benefit Arizona State? So that was definitely part of that event. But also another f- aspect was the Championship Life, which is a program that really has Arizona State investing a lot in the student-athlete in all the matters that really have nothing to do with football, just daily life. And I know there's a cliche that 
every football player, really every student athlete comes in as a boy or a girl and leaves a man or a woman just because of the maturity process. But it's still a maturity process that the AC coaches and the football staff really has to facilitate. And it's not just really holding players accountable if they messed up in practice or messed up in class or anything like that, but just really a broader sense of being a better human being, being a responsible human being, which is basically a way of life that no matter if you're lucky enough, like an Akil Harry, for example, to be drafted in the first round, more likely than not, or if you're just one of several thousands of players that is never going to play professionally in the sport of your choice to really lead a productive life as a member of society. And, and that's what the championship life is really all about. And I'm, and I'm planning probably one of these days to really delve deeper uh, into that program, but it's something that I've shared a lot with my premium subscribers, subscribers in, in the devil's huddle in the last few years, this is definitely an aspect that resonated quite a bit with uh, with with the recruits. And another thing that they mentioned to me is uh, that that the event ended having dinner at Sun Devil Stadium, and on the big video screen, there were a lot of highlights from this past 2018 season. And uh, some recruits really were impressed and, and taken back by that. It just created a very strong and positive vibe. There were some former players there like Manny Wilkins, some current players like Jaden Daniels, Eno Benjamin, and I just felt that it really was a very positive experience for recruits, but also a very unique experience for these recruits, which a lot of them are getting recruited by the USC's, the Oregon's, and the Washington's of the world, let alone teams from the Big 12, the Big 10, and the SEC that have been poaching instead of Arizona more than ever in recent years. So those are some of the uh, impressions and feedback that I got from that. And like I said, we'll have more on that topic. Our next question from one of my premium subscribers is from Commoner ASU, and this is really a question that is going to be asked a lot between now and tip-off on Wednesday night against St. John's. How is Ray Martin doing? When Bobby Hurley talked to the Pac-12 Network earlier today, he said that he was very encouraged by Remy Martin's healing process from his strained groin that he suffered on Friday against Oregon, and he said he, said he looked great. The proof is going to be in the pudding when he takes to the court on Wednesday. So I don't know if we're going to hear any, any other different narrative between now and then what was very telling and probably a little humorous too, is that when the video was taken of Arizona state's coaches and players yelling and jumping and screaming when their name was announced at the field of 68, there was only one player that was sitting down cool as a cucumber and that was Remy Martin. Actually even took a sip of his drink right when the announcement was made. And uh, Ray Martin is obviously not playing too cool to school. This definitely has to do with his groin injury, but I thought it was just a very 
funny image, which I tweeted out about, but in all seriousness, also kind of telling of Remy Martin right here, right now, not being 100% and how much closer will be to 100% come Wednesday is really anybody's guess. But again, Bobby Hurley, based on his feedback, was very encouraged with Remy Martin's progress. Next question from the Devil's Huddle comes from West Valley Devil. I'm going to challenge you, Hode, only because I know you're capable. What does the Pac-12 have to do basketball-wise, in your opinion, to get more credit? I'm seeing far more, far worse teams with the conference than us playing with better seeds. In your opinion, what can the Pac-12 do to get more teams in the tourney? I've been very critical in the past of Commissioner Larry Scott, and I still remain critical. There's definitely a lot that needs to be cleaned up in this conference, and I'm not so sure if Larry Scott is really the commissioner to do so. But I just feel that when it comes to the state of Pac-12 basketball, I think the only thing that the Pac-12 really controls to some extent, and really their television partners have a much bigger say, is the scheduling. Now, I don't think the conference scheduling was out of whack this year compared to just two, three years ago. So I don't know if the Pac-12 commissioner and the top brass of the conference really could do a whole lot to help its members when it comes to such a poor showing of Pac-12 basketball. It really all started with the non-conference and I admittedly did not dissect each and every team and see if their lack of success and lack of success in the non-conference was just due to sheer lack of talent, untimely injuries, or anything else. But I think all those factors are not really factors that the conference can control. The only factor again, and it was more prevalent in football a few years ago, and I think that the Pac-12 has made some strides in that regard when it comes to scheduling. Because football scheduling, there were times where a team played a Thursday game um, on, on the road and just having a short week before, a short week after, between the previous or next game, and that really hurt the chances right there. I think there's some teams were so unlucky that they're actually playing a quasi NFL schedule where they were playing on a Thursday and then playing the next, the next, uh, the week prior playing on a Saturday. So that obviously uh, did not help matters at all. So I really don't know if Pac-12 again can do much. I know we talk about TV exposure, but at the end of the day, that's not a, nothing that selection committee would really look at because whether they do get or don't get the Pac-12 network, they can always gain film from somewhere else and open a box score on the internet like you and I and, and take a look at what's uh, what's going on. So, again, don't believe that the Pac-12 can do much to fix the issue that you're mentioning, but are there are a lot of other issues, and we can leave that probably for another podcast. Absolutely a lot of other issues the top brass of the conference has to address. Next question comes from Ty Cap. If Remy Martin is limited physically on Wednesday, would you have Zylan Cheatham handle the point 
versus Dort, since Dort's primary responsibility should be keeping Shamari Pons in check on defense. And also Zion Cheatham has a real feel for managing the game as a primary distributor. I would prefer him taking on Remy's role than put that extra burden on Dort. I don't think your premise is really out of whack, so to speak. I think Zylan Cheatham as the point forward does do a commendable job. The question is how sustainable it is over 40 minutes or maybe over the 15 minutes that Ray Martin may not be on the court due to his injury. So that's the bigger question to me. And I do agree that Dort is definitely not a point guard. And it's really no surprise because the knock on Dort when he came into the program is that he is not going to be a combo guard. He is not going to be someone who can spell Ray Martin a point guard when the time comes. And really, throughout the season, even though Dort had a pretty solid campaign, being a consistent, effective point guard is something that he has yet to demonstrate, and I don't see him demonstrating right now in the NCAA tournament. So yes, I would agree that Zylan Cheatham should probably have more of a point forward role than he did against Oregon, where Martin again was in and out of the lineup and Dort was really assuming those duties. And I also feel that playing against forwards, which physically and talent-wise, Cheatham should have the advantage anyway, could really work into his favor, into the Sun Devils' favor, to try to compensate for the health struggles that Ernie Martin is going through right now. The next question comes from ASU PMAC. Although we're headed to Dayton, I think this could be a favorable draw for Arizona State, St. John's, Buffalo, Texas Tech, Michigan, in parentheses, and Anaheim. All seem winnable if Remy Martin can get healthy. How impactful do you think receiving an SWB bid is for the long term of the program? Personally, I think it would have been disastrous to lose momentum in terms of fan support, slash recruiting, slash keeping Bobby Hurley for an extended run. And yeah, I think it's an excellent point because at the end of the day, it's going to show that Arizona State qualified for the NCAA tournament two years in a row. And again, out of all the longest routes that exist over there among teams that are members of the Power Six conferences or the high major conferences, which are ACC, Big 12, Big 10, Big East, Pac-12, and SCC, Arizona State's route was the fifth longest active streak in college hoops among those teams. There's actually a note that I got as I was recording this podcast from Arizona State Basketball's SID, Doug Tamro. So it's positive, uncharted territory for Arizona State here to make it back-to-back appearances in the NCAA tournament. So it's nothing to shrug your shoulders over. And yes, it does help give Bobby Hurley confidence that he is on the right track and also gives him more motivation to perhaps next year disqualify as a member of the 64 team field and not be number 65 through 68 like it was this year, like it was last year. And yes, I think you definitely would lose some momentum from the fan base and it could affect recruiting in, in some regards 
if Arizona State did not make the NCAA tournament this year. Again, after a season where Duffy had his ups and downs, and we've talked a lot about this in previous podcasts, but at the same time, entering the Pac-12 tournament as a number two seed is something Arizona State has not done often at all this century or even the last 20, 30 years. Sweeping Arizona during the season. Again, it is not commonplace by any means. So I think everything just wrapped together in a bow that now is culminating in an NCAA tournament is definitely important on many levels. In terms of the favorable draw here, again, as I mentioned, Arizona State does have, I'm not going to say a comfortable draw, but definitely not a daunting draw facing St. John's on Wednesday. Playing Buffalo on Friday, that's going to be a tough one. And you just wonder how much of a fatigue factor is Arizona State going to have playing in that extra game before they face Buffalo in, in, in Tulsa. Buffalo is coming off an excellent year. I believe won 30 games or just, just around that. Really haven't looked too much into them yet just because there's one game to be played before that. But nonetheless, I mean, that wouldn't be a a team that I would say is not capable of giving Arizona State quite a bit of fit. So that, that one does concern to some extent. But look, when you're playing a number six seed in the NCAA tournament, you're not going to play pushovers. I mean, that's that's not going to happen. It's one thing to back into the field of 68, but when you're a number six seed, you're definitely didn't back into such such a high ranking. I do like the fact that Arizona State, if somehow they make it to Sweet 16 and they will play in Anaheim, that is the destination where a lot of ASU fans, whether they take a five six hour car ride or a one-hour flight could make and really give the Sun Devils a home court advantage. But we're not even close to really be talking about that scenario. And if Arizona State does beat Buffalo, by the way, they would most likely face Texas Tech, a number three seed, a team that was able to really dominate the Big 12. Granted, in a down year, for Kansas and definitely a down year for a team like uh, Texas and team also team, a team like West Virginia that usually has some success qualifying for the NCAA tournament. Uh, it, it's definitely not going to be any easy task and probably a much harder task than playing Buffalo, trying also to beat the Red Raiders from Texas Tech. So all in all, I don't see matchups that are really daunting, I hate to use that word again, for Arizona State, but as far as a favorable draw and just making assumptions that Arizona State can not only make it to the Sweet 16, but make some noise once they're there, 
I think that might be just a little premature at this point. The next po the next question, and this is uh, going back to uh, critical fans, uh, J.H. Leary, who I know personally and I know is a critical fan. When will just getting invited to the tournament no longer be enough? Well, I mean, that's really a good question. And, and again, it's, it's okay to have high expectations, especially when you have a coach like Bobby Hurley who creates those high expectations. But it's another just to keep things in perspective. And, and I understand that J.H. Leary is not alone there, wanting to see Arizona State, if not cranking out Final Fours every few years, maybe start cranking out some Sweet 16 appearances and working your way from there. I don't think we're at a point where just getting invited to the tournament is no longer good enough. But if I'm projecting here for the future, if Arizona State did qualify for the NCAA tournament next year and again had to play in Dayton, and by the way, from the quick research that I did, Arizona State is the first team to play in Dayton in, the, in that first four-in bracket two years in a row. So if the Sun Devils somehow managed to do it three years in a row, then I think maybe the disappointment would be more genuine. But as far as not being satisfied just making the tournament, when you look at the history of the program, when you put everything in perspective, I don't think we're there yet. Maybe a year or two, possibly three away from that. But right here, right now, I think that Arizona State fans should be very content making back-to-back -back appearances in the NCAA tournament for the first time since the late 70s, early 80s. And the last question for the Devil's Huddle comes from R. Mags. So just to be clear, the Pac-12 tournament held more water than the entire regular season. Please try to explain. Well, I have mixed feelings about that statement because Washington, who lost in the finals of the Pac-12 tournament, actually ended up being a number nine seed. They were the regular season Pac-12 champions, if you will. And on the other hand, Oregon, who won the Pac-12 tournament, very impressive fashion, playing four games and four nights, beating both the number two and number one seeds in Arizona State and Washington en route to that championship, was ranked number 12. Which, if you go back in the history books of a team winning a Pac-12 tournament and where they were seeded in the NCAA tournament, I venture to guess that is probably the first time it ever happened in conference history and if there is another occurrence of it, it is definitely still qualifying as the few and far between category. So Oregon did end up playing in San Jose, or will be playing in San Jose this weekend. So in that sense, maybe they got rewarded somewhat, but being a 12 seed which I know is the most likely underdog seed to 
record an upset win when you just look at the NCAA tournament history and they're playing Wisconsin, a team that more often than not does tend to disappoint once they qualify for the NCAA tournament. At least that seems to be the perception. I really haven't studied it all that much. But to win the Pac-12 tournament and be ranked number 12 is not exactly a feather in your cap. Now, maybe it works out in Oregon's favor in terms of the matchups. We'll see. But in that sense, it didn't carry that much water, I wouldn't say. And also wouldn't say that Washington losing in the finals to Oregon and being ranked three spots above them would be an indication that the Pac-12 tournament did hold more water than the entire regular season. But I know your question is probably more geared towards Arizona State. And yes, uh, as I I explained earlier, not so much the Pac-12 tournament, but I just feel that the quadrant one and quadrant two wins that Arizona State had really became so marginalized. And it could be because of a down year for the Pac-12. It could be because they did have just a tad more quadrant three and quadrant four losses than they should have. I mean, those those are all valid arguments. So I think that the perception and really the reality of the Pac-12 conference and its weakness is really what did in Arizona State and maybe even did in Oregon to some extent. But the Pac-12 tournament results having a huge impact on the seeding. Again, I personally don't see it just because when the loser of the championship game is ranked number nine and the Pac-12 tournament champion is ranked number 12, that is hardly, hardly a vote of confidence from the selection committee in the Pac-12 conference. And really, I'm not seeing them putting more weight at all on the Pac-12 tournament compared to the regular season. Moving on to the questions that we got from Twitter. The first one comes from at political jockey. Not really a question, but more of a statement. Larry Scott is the worst commissioner in the history of any major conference. Convince me otherwise. I guess it was a question in the end. Although it looked like more like a statement. I'm not going to convince you. Absolutely all. I'm not going to convince myself. I'm not here to defend him. By any means, I think that, and again, one of these days probably do a more uh, in-depth podcast about Larry Scott's and all the ills of the Pac-12. But the fact that he has done a poor job of bringing in revenue into the Pac-12, especially compared to other major conferences around the country, And at the same time, having a horrible, horrible perception of being a lavish spender on himself, having the highest salary of any commissioner in college sports, it just a perfect storm of one bad element after another after another. And I don't know when this ship is going to be righted, but... I have very little confidence that Larry Scott will be the one to actually make things significantly better for the Pac-12.
Next question comes from at forever a sun devil. How did Ohio State, Belmont, and some other at-large bids overpass Arizona State and not have to be in the last four in? That, that's really an excellent question. And and I mentioned earlier when I when I was talking about other teams that were not listed as last four in, and Ohio State was one of those teams. Their record against quadrant one and quadrant two teams was nine and thirteen. I think it still comes back to the Big Ten having an undoubtedly much, much better perception than the Pac-12, and Ohio State just gets a much bigger benefit of the doubt compared to a team like ASU just because of everything that plagues the Pac-12. When you look at a team like Belmont, I know that it might be an elitist point of view, if you will, being somebody who knows the Pac-12 much better than the Ohio Valley Conference, basically dismissing what teams from a mid-major league do or achieve and why that should be better than a high-major conference and its participants. But look, a 24-9 record by Belmont Sure, on paper it's impressive, but look at the quadrant one and quadrant two losses. And I obviously did not look at this until this question was raised on Twitter. Combine quadrant one and quadrant two wins is two. Combined losses, five. So a two and five quadrant one and quadrant two game record for Belmont was good enough to have them squeeze in as well into the field of 68 and actually be rated higher on paper than Arizona State. Now, reading some of the analysis on Belmont, it's a team that a lot of high major schools are not really seeking to play just because of the upset factor that they carry. But to talk about an outstanding run in the Ohio Valley Conference, and to have that go toe-to-toe with a team like Arizona State who finished second in a high major conference is definitely questionable. And the last thing I'll say over here on Belmont, they played 17 Quadrant 4 games. And they were 16-1. and one. So sure, they took care of business. But... How bad is your schedule? How bad is your conference where you play 17 Quadrant 4 games versus only eight such contests that Arizona State had? And a Quadrant 4 game, just as a quick recap, is a home game against a team that has an RPI of 161 or higher, playing on a neutral court against a team with an RPI of 201 or higher and play a game against a team with a ranking of 240 or higher. Again, Arizona State played just a total of eight games in that category. Belmont played 17. So you can talk about a successful, impressive run in the Ohio Valley Conference, 
But talk about also needing to keep things in perspective. Belmont, even though they're in Dayton, just like Arizona State just a day earlier, there's no way they should be looked at as a team that was ranked above Arizona State, whether it's one or two notches higher. That is absolutely a travesty, in my opinion. The next question comes from at Proud Devil alum. How many NCAA tournaments will Remy Martin get to go to before his ASU career is over? And Remy Martin is obviously a sophomore now and somebody that I expect to play the next two years in Tempe. So right now with two under his belt, the question is, does he get to see another NCAA tournament after this year? Does he get to see one? Does he get to see two? I think it's a safe bet that Ray Martin will play in three NCAA tournaments, and obviously this month being the second one. I think that Bobby Hurley, with the trajectory of this program, is definitely one that we can expect Arizona State to have a good chance at worst. I know that sounds pretty contradictory right there. To being contention for the NCAA tournament. Every year, at worst, every other year. So for Ray Martin to have three NCAA tournament appearances by the time his career in Tempe is done, to me, is, is a definitely a reasonable assumption to make. Last question from Twitter comes from at Jacob Schultz 5 how far can ASU go? Do you see him perhaps in the round of 32 or Sweet 16? Uh, that's a question that I did address earlier. Just to recap, uh, I see Arizona State prevailing over St. John. I don't think it's out of the question that they do it. I also don't think that it's going to be a game where they absolutely blow out the Red Storm. The game against Buffalo, right off the hoof, does concern me. For the, all the reasons that I mentioned earlier, Buffalo is a team that has really had quite, quite an impressive season and definitely one that teams are not eager to play, whether it's the NCAA tournament or the non conference. So, that's a game that I think Arizona State, if they are fortunate to beat St. John's, are going to have some issues. But maybe you don't put it out of reach for the Sun Devils because on the one hand, even though they're definitely going to have less than fresher legs compared to their opponent, sometimes being in that in-game groove, for lack of a better term, versus a team that's rested can actually have a more positive effect than expected. And you don't have to point any further than Oregon, winning four games and four nights in Las Vegas and capturing the Pac-12 tournament cr crown. I think that Arizona State may be can gain some inspiration from that and really come in pretty hot and ready to go against Buffalo. 
but again, I know we're getting way ahead of us, way ahead of ourselves over here. But let's say they beat St. John's, and let's say they beat Buffalo. I think Texas Tech is where the party ends. Uh, that's a team, like I said, that played excellent basketball in the Big Twelve, and I really feel would present even a bigger challenge than Buffalo would for ASU. But for Arizona State, just to beat St. John's and just to beat Buffalo, that would definitely constitute, in my eyes at least, a successful season and really no shame if you did end up losing to the number three team in your region. And that will bring this episode of the Devil Junkies podcast to a close. I will be headed to Dayton. I actually even got my notice of my credentials being approved while I was recording this podcast. I will try to record a podcast either from Dayton or from Cincinnati, win or lose after Arizona State faced St. John's. We will have on our website, uh, devilsitis.com, lots of content leading up to that game on Wednesday as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, we, we will be talking also about Arizona State's Elite Junior Day event that took took place uh, the, this last Saturday. Get some of the impressions of some of the recruits that were in Tempe on Saturday. And I plan to travel with the team to Tulsa if the team does indeed uh, beat uh, St. John's and Maybe some future podcasts from another state other than Arizona. Multiple podcasts, I should say. It might be in the cards this week. Uh, you never know. But uh, thank you so much uh, for tuning in. If you uh, loved uh, everything that you heard today and want to hear more from me, whether it's Arizona State basketball or any other topic regarding Sun Devil Athletics, uh, please become a subscriber if you're not already to DevilsDigest.com. So until next time, have a great week. And since your team is part of the field of 68, remember, this is March. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. All my friends were vampires Didn't know they were vampires Turns out I was a vampire myself in the devil town